When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Province Force Podcast. Welcome to the White Towel Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman, joined this week by Ben Kuzma and Ed Willis. A reminder, as always, subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts. You'll get this content delivered to you every week, this wonderful content, I should say. Also, we do our White Towel videos on our websites, theprovince.com, vancouversun.com, and the wonderful articles written by these gentlemen here this week. Guys, uh, let's jump right into it. Um, Coming off the Canucks loss to the Leafs, this team is going to lose games. There's no real streak to speak of. The team's been playing pretty well. Uh, your impressions of where the core of this group is going? Ted, well, I, or ben? yeah, I, I, I think it's a continual evolvement. We've talked to death about the JT Miller's influence on this team as a guy who maybe had a bit of a chip on his shoulder uh, when he was uh, let go by Tampa because they needed to sign point to a, a rich deal. Uh, I, I like the direction. I think a lot of it we need to understand here. There are still a lot of teaching points, a lot of learning points. Uh, the Leaf game was, was probably a good one. I, they probably deserved a better fate. I mean, Brock Besser misses three breakaways. He misses a cross-ice pass on the power play with a puck hops over his stick just as he's loading up the one-timer. I think what I love about Pedersen is his ability to engage and not just play. He will take a check and give one, and to be matched up against the Matthews line uh, I think said a lot about his growth and that line that line's growth, but you know, within that uh, there are going to be some speed bumps. To hear Brock Besser talk post-game about he hasn't been playing very well, and quite frankly, one goal in the last eight games, he did have eight shots, ten attempts against the the Leafs. He was much better, but he did admit, I got to play that way every night. So it's interesting here that even a couple years in with some of these guys, there's still an evolution of teaching and learning and understanding what it means to play in tight games and try to win one. To me, it's interesting the way the narrative around this team changes. Remember, if we go back to the start of the year, boy, are they too reliant on Pedersen's line for scoring? Or where's the depth scoring going to come from? Now you look at it. Pearson's been scoring. Levo's been scoring. Jake's still on pace for 20 goals. That third line was doing really good stuff up until I decided I was going to do a story on them. Nice timing there, boys. And they, they, they kind of disappeared last night. But that's really been the least of their worries, and they're getting production from their blue line. So, you know, it goes back to it, and I think I mentioned this a couple of times, for me, one of the real big questions about this team at the start of the year is how prepared are these young guys to lead this team, and is it reasonable to expect them to lead this team into the playoffs at this stage of their careers? And we've kind of had, you know, fairly big sample size now. We're into, what are we into? We're into 30-plus games, I, I, I believe. Uh, nine, they're 500, and 500 in the NHL is not making the, in the playoffs since, since October. They're 9-9 nine, nine and 
for, I believe, is, is what the run is. So, you know, I think I don't, I, I don't think it's it's time to take to the streets, but I think there's, a, you know, legitimate reason for a bit of concern of the way they're trending. Yeah, yeah, I think I think they are what they are, as one yeah. Cleveland coach once said. Uh, and I, I, you speak to some good things, and it's interesting too because you know with, with a young team, it's it's kind of like. It's kind of that college football mantra. You never know what these guys are going to do in a given game. They're going to do something spectacular or something you can't believe they, they made that dumb a play. But having said that, I remember early in the season when Quinn Hughes was finally anointed as power play one quarterback. They went 0 for 4 one night on home ice. And with, there we are talking to a kid who just turned 20 years old, and he's telling us to calm down. Mm. You know, we're going to be fine. We've got all the tools here. We're just learning each other's tendency. Don't worry. The power play is going to be great. And it's fourth today. It scored the most goals in the NHL with the most attempts. My point is, when you get that kind of confidence and coolness from a, from a kid who's a genuine Calder Trophy candidate, I think that kind of spreads through the room. I mean, even with the veteran contingent. Look look at this kid. I mean, he's he's got all these different elements in his game. A little bit of Housley, a little bit of Leach, a little bit of Orr. But he's that cool and that confident, and I think uh, that's a big part of what's in play here because they're going to have bad nights. They're going to get beat up in the third period and, and give up goals. But uh, I, I, I think, as they say, they're, they're trending in the right direction. There's still a lot of learning going on here. There's still a lot of teaching. Are they a playoff team? We're going to find out. I mean, I have to go on the record and say that I did predict they would fall just short, uh, and I just think that's how tough the division and the conference is. I don't want to take social media grumbling into into much account because there's so many people who just want to be so loud and have the so-called ironic hot take. Um, but I have seen some criticism of Horvat that he hasn't been not just scoring as much, but hasn't been as noticeable in games. Uh, your assessments on his season so far? He obviously got off to a great start, but I will admit you don't seem to notice him as much as you were a couple of weeks ago. I think with Horvat, the thing is he's so cognizant of, of his wingers and, and trying to to get pucks to them. I mean, he, he did have the hat trick game uh, in Detroit at the end of an earlier road trip, um, which seemed to be a, a leaping off point for him. But I don't know whether the asks of him are affecting uh, his offensive game. When you've got Sutter out and you've got Beagle out, now Horvat has to take all the defensive zone faceoffs. And I talked to Beagle about this. He said, you know, that's really hard to do. You know, you go in the defensive zone, you take that face off. Twenty seconds, you get off the ice. There's a line change. He said, when you do that throughout the entire game, it really wears on you. And I know Horvat takes a lot of pride in his his ability to, to win draws. He's leading the league in power play efficiency in the circle. But I think a lot of the added responsibility that came with those two guys out on top of killing penalties as well, maybe draining him a bit. So I think with as they get healthy, keep him off the PK, uh, let Beagle take some defensive zone face-offs. I think that can make a difference. I, I just wonder, like that C is such a small thing, but it carries a lot of weight too. And, you know, I, I just wonder if we're just seeing, you know, maybe a, a bit of a period here where he's adjusting to the responsibility, the notoriety, all those things of having to be the spokesman. I mean, he's I, I think he's been very good at it, as good as you can expect for a kid that age at this stage of his career. But I just want wonder if that on top of everything else um to me he's still the least of their worries i I, i've always wondered and i've kind of it's the thing i've always wondered about bo is like is he a good enough puck distributor 
to be that 70, 75 point centerman because if he is that and Pedersen is that 90 point guy, the Canucks are set there for the next six to eight years. Uh, if they're not, if he, if he's just kind of a 50 point guy, if Pedersen's 70, that, that's, that's a world of difference there. So I think that's one of the things that will out here as, as we move forward. What, what might help in the long run is the fact that when you think of him, you don't think of fluidity. You think of these bull rushes and kind of ramming the puck and jamming it and getting down low. And that's where a lot of goals are scored in today's game. You look at the at the one that Leval jammed in last uh, the, in the Toronto game. It was very much that they're all around the top of the crease area because they couldn't beat Anderson, who I don't know he came out of the blue to play a game like that. I'm good on him, but I think that has a lot to do with his game. And, and maybe, like I said earlier, you take away some of the other responsibilities. And, and he can. You see, the thing with Bo, it, you know, he did have a partial breakaway against the Leafs. He, he does have that element in his game, but I just think he's wired to look for his guys to get down low to be that guy to to ram pucks home. That only means 25 goals a year, so be it. I mean, maybe that, that that's who he is. I know hockey is no different than any other sport as they have their own made-up language, but I've been reading, I've seen a couple times this week this term of a team's micro-core. Um, wow. wow. Have you guys heard that one yet? Uh, no, that's, that's new. That's great. It, 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 no, it's yeah. totally new. And just like, how is that different micro-core. than the core? There are micro cores <laughs> that only three players. But if you want to look at that through that lens, honestly, we can talk about how how good the, the additions of Miller and Ben and, and even Myers have been to this team. Ups and downs, you're right, Ben. You talked about Besser and, you know, they go, it's a long season. It's a grind. We know what happened to Pedersen last year. This team's in pretty good shape, aren't, aren't they? When you look at your Horvat, certainly Hughes, uh, Pedersen and Besser, you still have to step back and go, yeah, the foundation's there. Yeah, it is. And it, you know, is it at its peak though right now? No, you know, of and they're going, not. no, go, and, and that's, and they're going against so many teams where their best players are in their prime years right now. You know, and I think that's one of the, you know, that's one of the big conversation points about this. It's just, I was, I was just thinking, you know, when we were talking about this earlier, the one thing I do wonder, there is so much pressure on this team to make the playoffs this year. And it goes back to the release of Trevor Linden and Jim, Jim Benning selling ownership on this idea. We don't have to wait for years to, you know, to be competitive. I just wonder if that's going to start rearing its head. And if we get into February and all of a sudden they're in 10th, 11th, 12th place, does that ratchet up the pressure on, on Travis Green? Does that ratchet up the pressure on, on Benning? Um, I, I think that's in there. That's kind of, that's kind of the elephant in the room. And it's probably, no, it's probably premature to talk about it now, I but I don't it think is. it will be in, okay, in February. But, but I mean, we're projecting. You have to They start might be now. fine. They might be fine. They might be fine. They might be hanging around that playoff spot, and they might even kick the door down by the end of April. But I, I think with the you know just the track record here and everything else, and I, you, you still hear things around the league about the pressure Benning's feeling and the pressure so and was, the pressure Green's feeling. Fun, funnily enough, I was going to ask you, you both, you guys, about this, and I know in particular, Ed, you've had. You know, you're, you've, you've expressed your opinions of the ownership here on several occasions and there's been pushback. The, the, maybe it's just a new toy of his, but that the social media tweeting of games by the owner is him, you know, and he's front and center in a lot of the 50th, you know, anniversary and there's nothing wrong with that. It may be a marketing thing, but I do wonder as the owner sort of taking on this prominence, like pushing out his message to the fans as he, he was doing again last night. It's sort of like now he's part of the story and that's, you're right. If they come, and I know there's fear about this, have come the trade deadline. Is there interference to maybe give up on some more future picks? If, if you feel you want to go over the top, you, I mean, 
if there's a if there's a downside for this team, really, it is a lot of dead money in big contracts. Still, they're managing it because they have the young guys at a better cost. But is this just Francesco Aquilini likes to play around on social media, or do you think there's a little bit too much involvement there? Yes, yes, and yes. All the answers are correct. He does <laughs> like to play around, and I think a lot of this has to do with. I, I think this is Francesco. Aquilini kind of trying to change his own kind of stature in, in the lower mainland. I remember going to training camp in Whistler and suddenly Francesco showing up and just gabbing away with us and getting the back slaps. And I'm thinking, who is this guy? And he was just maybe trying to change his image. But Paul brings up a good point here. Uh, as we get closer to the end of February and the trade deadline, where are the Canucks? I mean, the one thing I think they'd like to be is totally healthy because maybe, maybe by the end of February, if Brandon Sutter could have stayed healthy all year and can kill penalties and win faceoffs, and some team says, you know what, if we're going to really help us, you can't have enough depth in the postseason down the middle. And more importantly right now, uh, with the injury to Michael Furlan again, uh, in the Toronto game, and we were told it's an upper body injury. Uh, he threw three pretty good hits in the first period, two within a 12-second span. And what concerned me with a guy who's had multiple concussions, guys, is that that whiplash effect. So is he having more symptoms? Uh, what I'm getting at is if he's on the shelf yet again, and this is a guy that Travis says we're really going to need that kind of player down the stretch, I've been pretty impressed with Zach McEwen. Uh, who's played with some tempo and some bite. And this is going to be an interesting situation. Are they going to get to a point where they say, you know what, we need to run with Zach McEwen. We've got something here, as opposed to leaving him in Utica all year. So I, I think come the trade deadline, I think it's, it's, it's relevant to talk about it even today. Where are they going to be and what are they prepared to do? Are they really going to push that playoff envelope? Or are they going to say, you know what, uh, we've got some guys uh, on the horizon here. Maybe we can move this guy. Maybe we should have a more vested interest in a guy like McEwen uh, who needs to get more games under him. Yeah, I mean, it could very well be they're going to be chasing a playoff spot and be sellers at the trade deadline, too. I can totally see that. Uh, you know, we haven't even mentioned the goaltending situation, which is another kind of, you know, one of those, you know, the raven hanging around, <laughs> look, looking down on them. And, you know, that, that, that's, that's, you know, a storyline that, that's going to play out here. So, and again, we look back over the last four or five years and the pattern has been the Canucks stay, you know, they hang around, they get off to an encouraging start. And then sometimes it's November, sometimes Sometimes it's December. Sometimes it's even in mid-January. But eventually, it's just sort of their their lack of horses, the lack of talent. The other teams ramp up their their game in the division, and they just they just fall out of contention. So I mean, that's another thing to keep an eye on here. And when you talk to people around the league, I mean, they're super impressed by the Canucks core. But in the same tone, they don't mention it as a this year thing. Yeah. They mention it as, as a team we have to really be wary of. They've really done some nice work in Vancouver, and eventually yeah, it'll come to fruition. I'm not so sure it's going to be this season in terms of a playoff berth when you look what's happening in the division uh, and the conference. We do these videos as well, and, and you brought up Adam Gaudet and mm-hmm. I don't want to say he's uh, he's a story that's been overlooked because I, I think people recognize what a fine player he is but when you look at the rest of this team and you look at that top end talent and you look at the free agents guys like Miller they brought in Gaudet's a great piece for them to have there and fall back on isn't he? Yeah he is I mean here's a guy who scored 30 goals was a Hobie Baker winner and really had to tailor his game for the NHL he's basically one dimensional he played at Northeastern and he won the Hobie Baker at a 60 point year and he was all offense, and even when he was uh, came up at the end of that year, you could tell right away that, uh, boy, without the puck, it was a bit of a mystery. And the one thing that Travis Green 
always says about Goddard is he sells out on every shift. And that's, that's all you can ask as a, as a transitioning player. And when we did our uh, video earlier, I compared him to Alex Kerfoot, uh, a fifth-round guy who the Canucks chased as a college free agent, chose to go to Colorado, got traded to Toronto because Colorado wanted more bite, third-line center. They got Kadri. Long story short... Here you have a guy got at a fifth-round pick that you've invested in, you drafted, you made a nice call there. Uh, if you had to choose between those two guys today, I, I, Gaudet's got, he's two years younger. I think he's got a bigger upside. I think he skates better. He's got a pretty good release. But more importantly, Paul, he's really learned to play without the puck, and he's gained uh, Travis's trust to be a th- his third-line center. And uh, we know Sutter's uh, on, on the downside here. That's one position they don't have to worry about. Yeah, the, I mean, the belief in the NHL forever was you win with your two centers, your four defensemen, and your goalie. I think you can amend that now. It's your three centers now because the game is so fast and you need that third line to be productive. And if, if Godet is that guy, there's a couple of things here. When you're the third line guy, you never score enough that you're going to be commanding seven, eight million bucks. So you can slide in usually at a, at a reasonable rate. And if he can drive like a third line that does some scoring that you can match up against everybody, boy, that changes a lot of things for this team. And it looks like he's that guy now. Like I said, you know, they had that, the, 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 the line with Roussel and, and, and him and Vertanen had two really, really good games. Not so much uh, last night against Toronto, but you know, in the story arc of this season, that's an important development for the Canucks. Uh, and then going forward also, it's huge because uh, Roussel's around for a while. Gaudet will probably be extended and I, Benning will be so loath to give up on Jake, yeah, right? His He's his guy. Right yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so uh, you know, again, another thing to keep an eye on for this team. It's What, what is fascinating is um, we went... I'd say we went through some very lean years, obviously, in terms of when we're we're trying to think of what we're covering, what the storylines are in the team, and it's like we all got bored with the Sedins, not necessarily because they were the Sedins, but because there was nothing else. And I look at this team, and you got we've already touched on so many of them: Quinn Hughes, Besser, Gaudet, but Josh Levo, like that's a great story. You know, I mean, Furland obviously is is sort of the sour note. I if that is a head injury, Ben, I I, I would like to think that they're seriously talking about shutting it down because you just can't continue to play with this. But even Roussel like comes back, and and I know you had you know you did a great Alex Burroughs piece uh, when you're looking at the relationship that he has with with Roussel. Um, but also, I, I just there's so many more parts to this team that that I'm interested in than I was say four years ago. Yeah, we're not talking about one guy or one line anymore. It's you know like okay, how many Patterson stories have we done this week? You know, exactly. we can't get enough yeah, Quinn yeah. Hughes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You bring up good points, and uh, you know, talking about Gaudet uh, with the Kerf- their Kerfoot uh, comparison. I, I just think that you know we got to give credit where credit's due. I mean, they addressed two issues: top six. They had to get a couple of wingers. They needed to fix the defense. Uh, the Furland thing concerns me. Uh, I tried to press Travis about it after the game, and they would only give it the upper body. But I think if you look closely at those hits and the whiplash effect that can be as prominent as an actual blow when you've had multiple concussions, uh, that's a concern. And uh, that's a guy that they purposely went out and got. They thought he could revert to 20-goal form that he had in Calgary. And really, uh, they've given him every opportunity. He was slow to gain traction. And now he's run into concussion problems. So, um, But 
but again, with that comes opportunity. And I'll bring up uh, Zach McEwen's name again. I think the kid has taken – again, this speaks to the organization. He was super raw, super raw kid, undrafted. I mean, but they, he just – again, well, they have legit options now. Yeah, legit. When they recall a guy, he can actually play at this level. It's not like, why did they recall this guy? Or, you know, sorry, you know, Goldobin, maybe one last chance we'll have a look at you. Or or Sven Berici or whoever. I mean, I think those guys are, you know, fading into the sunset in terms of the organization. But at least for now, for this year, uh, they've got some legitimate recall options. Isn't that a? Uh, it's obviously a good thing, isn't it, Ed? What, that you, if you have those sort of fringe guys like Barchi and Goldobin, and they come up and they, they don't make an impact and they go back down, it just means you've you've got better players. Oh yeah, no, hundred percent. You know, I was thinking about. This might be a really awkward comparison, but I remember three, you know, like when Louis Erickson came here, he was expected to provide instant offense. And when he didn't, it just affected so many things in their lineup, you know, right on down. Well, you know, you look at it this year, you know, um, you know, they were expecting Furland to make an impact. They were hoping Berchi would make an impact and probably thinking, you know, 40 goals is not unreasonable uh, from, from those two guys. It really hasn't worked out that way. Goldobin, who knew? But he was, you know, I remember sitting here two years ago thinking, boy, he might be at peace going forward. And it hasn't cratered their season. In fact, I'm not sure if you can say it's had any impact on where they are in the standings. Now, you look at what Utica is. You know, we've talked about McEwen. The, the, def- the defenseman, Rafferty, is quietly having a lights-out season. Now, I was impressed with him when they, when they brought him up. But I'd like to see, and I'm pretty sure the way he's tracking, he's going he's gonna to be seeing some NHL game, games this year too. So, uh, you know, another guy there, and they've got another pool developing, and it's not realistic to expect all of them to hit, but you think somewhere between Tyler Madden and, you know, then the, the kid playing defense in, in, in Hartford and, uh, and the Russian kid they took in the first run, and on and on and on. One or two of them, and that's really, they're in a position now where that's all they need. They need one or two of them to pop and become impact players. Rafferty, Tevis, Ulevi's playing now, Rathbone, uh, you're right, Ed. Yeah. I mean, the, I don't want to call it an embarrassment of riches, but you got legitimate prospects now. And, you know, defensemen, I mean, you better draft them because it costs you an arm and leg to trade for one or to get them in free agency. So they've done their due diligence there as well. And, you know, the, again, this comes back to kind of a shift. I don't know when it occurred, but understanding where the game is going and the whole skill thing, whether it was the Pedersen play, uh, you know, or, or going even the Besser route or whatever, this organization understood where the game is going and they're starting to reap the awards. Oh, really to me, in, in hindsight, that Pedersen pick, yeah. I, I don't want to say it. it People were critical of it. They certainly weren't. They, were, I mean, oh, they when, were. When Thomas Green yep. uh, really gave his endorsement, I think, but I, he was a guy that wasn't talked a lot going in the draft. There were so many other names, yeah. and when a couple of names that they'd been heavily linked with went before, yeah. there was this. I just remember the reaction from Canuck fans. It was like, "We're going to get screwed again," because of course they didn't get the first pick. The team, here we go. We end up with the fifth pick. Well, and yet he has almost, and and the fact that he came in and stepped in at full speed, he hasn't needed three, four years in the in the miners. That, to me, is where this organization really started to tip forward. Well, they under- yeah, they, I'm sorry, they, they really understood it at that draft, because who went before Pedersen? Kale McCarr. And they love Kale McCarr. But I, it wasn't almost like we'll be damned if we're going to take another defenseman. It's just at the end of the day, as, as high as McCarr was on their radar, uh, they told me uh, Pedersen was always 
always at the top of their draft list. So again, that gets back to the point I was saying earlier that they had the foresight that this kid is doing some incredible things that will project at the NHL level the way it's trending. So so good on them. Well, remember all the angst that was expended in this market o- over the draft lottery. Yeah, New Jersey's won it twice, yeah. right? And they've got Nico Heischer and I. Jack Hughes is going to be something special, yeah. I think, down the line. But Jersey's they're almost out of the playoff picture already. Now, if the Canucks have the first pick and they take, I don't know. Do, I don't think they've got. I don't think. I, no, I don't think they've got the stones to take Elias Peterson first overall, or Kale McCarr for that matter. So yeah, I, I probably would have come down between Heisher and Patrick. So it's just it's, it's funny the way this thing's worked out. Um, I, I think you can now look at the Canucks, the way they've structured, the way they've been drafted. You give them maybe give them a pass on your levy, um, and, and just with the depth and, and and the core players they, they they've drafted and brought into the system. I, I think that whole kind of draft question, it's at least been reframed if it hasn't been uh, changed completely. And, and you know, to, to what Ben says, yeah, it's it's kind of up and down. It's in the NHL club. It's in Utica. It's on the reserve lift. It's everywhere in the organization. Maybe there is such a thing as, as hockey gods because yeah. you know, when they're sitting there at the draft and, and Detroit's picking yeah. and you're thinking, okay, Blaschel has a connection with Quinn Hughes that goes back to the world championship team, two Michigan guys. He absolutely loves Quinn Hughes. He couldn't stop talking about Quinn Hughes when the Canucks were in Detroit this year. What do they do? They pass on Quinn Hughes. And they take Zadina, who eventually may, you know, develop, but... My goodness, the, the, so the wave at the Canucks bench, you know, like a one-man wave, Jim Benning, they were targeting Hughes all along because they thought they were going to get Dobbs, and the, the way it just That's played right. out. Yeah, yeah. They, they, and we the two pre- Sanders that kind of jumped out of the yeah. blue. Yeah, we're, yeah. We're compared for something else, so maybe this hockey gods thing is a real Actually, thing. Actually, Ed, I wanted to get in a little more detail to something you referred to earlier. You said, oh, we haven't even got to the goaltending, and that's an interesting. Mm-hmm. It is an interesting situation. Yeah, right. I mean, what would you guys do? You've got Markstrom... Clearly the number one here, uh, contract coming up, but you know you've got Demko there, you know you've got DiPietro, or if you want, there are a lot of free agent goalies that would come in and, and let Demko be the number one and take your 30 games on the, on the bench, or 30 games on the ice the rest of the time on the bench. Where do you see this going? And what, where would you, what would you recommend they do going in the offseason? Well, it depends what day you ask that question. It, it really does. I mean, the, the way it looks out for this season, I, it's, it, it, they just can't make a move. They can't, they can't decide. First of all, the goaltender market is always not what people think it is. It's not that richly developed. The assets you got, you get, you get coming back wouldn't make it worth it. So, so they're here now. I, I go back and forth in this and I, I don't know. I really don't. I think, you know, Jacob Markstrom is, is, I think he's, he's turning 30 pretty soon, is he not? Yeah, I, I, I mean, he kind of, he, he is what he is. He's, he's an NHL goalie. I'm just not sure if you can say he was upper tier. People were expecting. Now he's gone through a lot of Very stuff close this year. If he's not. Well, yeah, I, I know. But I, what I, where he's going with that? Last half of last season, he was. Yeah. He, he really was. He was a top ten goalie. And for this team to make the playoffs this year, he's got to be at least that, and maybe even an upgrade on that. I just don't know if he is. I think the problem is is going to be term. Um, when I, last time I talked to Jim Benning, of course, if Jim talking, Jim talks, say, "Oh, you know what, uh, boy, he could play another five, six, seven years." You know, goalies play into the late thirties. Oh, well, hang on here. There's a lot of things they used play. to play. In the, There's a lot the of things that play here. I mean, it's not just Demko's. 
uh, maturation, the promise of DiPietro. You got to think about the expansion draft uh, with Seattle and protecting your goalies unless you work out some sort of a side deal. I, I think in a perfect world, the Canucks only maybe extend them a couple of years, and the trade off for that is more money. Uh, if they're going to go longer, then the pullback from the team is less money. But again, that gets into the expansion issue. And I think you know Thatcher Demko every time, like he's he's progressing quickly now. We tend to forget about last year between the concussion from friendly fire and the, and the knee sprain. He just didn't play much, 11 games um, after all that. But I, I think that he's on this path. And Di Pietro's got off to a nice start in the minors. And I, I just wouldn't go very long uh, on Markstrom's deal. But I think that's going to be the, the bait. Uh, if you're, if yeah. we're going to give, if you're going to less term, we want more money. More term, we'll, we'll take less money. Th- I mean, I the more I read about successful organizations on any multi-sport platform, it's they're planning a year out. So I know this time last year we were talking about it being an absolute crackerjack free agent class, and then so many of them resigned yep. with their current mm-hmm. teams. So have you guys looked ahead to next year? Like if you're not going to sign Markstrom, especially if you're not going to do a, a shorter deal, Ben, with more money, yeah. is are there players out there you think that they would ha- be able to spend that money on? It depends the level. Uh, if you're talking about the goaltending position per se. If, no, if, I'm, you know, I'm talking about anything. Like oh, if you, anything. If you, just, if you yeah. decide that Danko's your starter yeah. and you can fill whether it's DiPietro or a veteran in that in that pure backup role, is there someone else you could spend that money on next year rather than saying, let's bring Markstrom back? I think it's scarce to, to maybe go that route to yeah. say that uh, we're going to have Markstrom on a very short leash uh, contract-wise. I think they, they really believe that he's their guy. And this is, what, this is why I brought up the expansion draft. Okay, that's fine to say you're sold on him and you think you've got this 1A, 1B tandem that guys are pretty envious in the division. I don't think there's probably a better tandem. Uh, then what do you do in terms of, like you said, Paul, taking that next step in free agency? Where do you go? I mean, you have to be uh, wary of, you know, you're going to have to eventually pay Pedersen big money. You're going to have to pay Hughes big money. Uh, this is what happens when you have a young core that, that uh, matures that quickly. Well, but they've had such success yeah. in free agency. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> well, yeah. No, yeah, and, yeah. and to, to me, they made their, their 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 moves in free agency and, and, and in the trade market this off season. I'm just not sure how many bullets he's got left to fire. As you say, they're looking at a huge payday for Patterson. I think it's supplementary Hughes, pieces. Hughes, yeah. Hughes, Hughes is good. yeah, maybe maybe you fill out. But again, this is what you know. This is what efficient organizations do. They can fill those places from within. And I think getting back to the conversation we were having earlier, that's where the Canucks should be right now. This is Benning's fifth season on the job there should be enough organizational depth that they can fill from within and don't have to go out getting those pieces. You know, they got Myers, they got the top four defensemen, they got the complimentary piece in, in Ben, they traded for J.T. Miller, top six guy. These are significant moves. Like, these are impactful moves in the life story of the organization. I'm just not sure if there's another one out there for them again this offseason. Um We'll wrap up here shortly, but I did want to ask you guys about uh, the atmosphere in the rink. I mean, the Leafs coming to town is always a big thing, but I did read this. I mean, it could be just an oddity. It's the first time the Leafs uh, haven't sold out here, and I think it was eight years, maybe a bit longer. A couple things in play there. I mean, yeah, absolutely, and 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 it was still a pretty full building. I mean, might not have been a complete sellout, but you know, where is where is this team? Um, from a financial point of view right now, we talk, I mean, obviously the 50th anniversary is a, is a big, big marketing push for them. But really, like, how hot is a ticket for the Canucks if they're not selling out the Leafs? Well, they still do that premier ticket 
package thing when the Leafs come to town, the original six. They charge an arm and a leg even to sit in the third deck. I talked to some people who went to the game last night, and, and they had to pay through the nose for that game. I think the big thing about last night, it was Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. Mm. The Leaf fans were not in the bar at Saturday at noon getting their drink on and coming to the rink at 3 for a 4 o'clock game. I mean, I, I really noticed in the pregame, you know, in the warm-up, you look down at the, at the glass and it's just plastered with Leaf yeah, jerseys yeah, halfway yeah. up. Uh, that wasn't the case last night. I don't think it was so much the price point. I just think it was like it's a Tuesday night game. And, uh, geez, the Leafs are, you know, just over a 500 team. I don't th- I don't think the bloom is off the road. Oh, come for, on, Ben. The, them. the place was stuffed yeah. with Leaf fans yeah. when they were, like, yeah. but, <laughs> 30th in the league. But I think a Tuesday game. But that shouldn't be a factor. But, Paul, that shouldn't be a factor. Uh, and getting back to, you know, the team and, and, and the money thing and, and where are they at financially, uh, it's interesting. And, and a piece I did earlier, and just the way that Rogers Arena is constructed. They, they, they can't have this special VIP lounge underneath where the players march by them in a glass wall and the drinks and the food are so good they don't even go back to their seat. Everything is a view of the rink. So all the bars, special lounges that they've added so the millennials or whoever can watch the game and have their drink. Damn uh, they're making they're, Yeah, they're making Does that avocado a really toast on their menu good. yet there? Yeah. The Rogers Sports Bar? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think the big, uh, the, what's the, the kale shake? I think that's a big one. <laughs> With a splash of water. I, I think this the, the, the game Thursday night against Carolina will tell more of a story, and it was interesting. I was reading some of the you know the, the, the Twitter feed from Edmonton where they were saying, you know, Carolina was in there, and this is the smallest crowd they can remember seeing since Edmonton moved into their new rink. So I think that'll be that'll 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 be a story worth keeping an eye on on Thursday night. We had talked about them being home for most of December, and there yep. are some good teams coming yep. through. Yep. I know they've got some of the rivalry games. We also got Pittsburgh. The Habs are coming, uh, who are having a terrible year, but still the traditional draw. Uh, you know, Vegas is in, who I think are kind of a fun team to go see. I, you know, you got Christmas, people getting tickets as presents, or they're downtown shopping. You know, I would like to think there's a good month ahead for Canuck fans. I like the, the one thing I noticed early in the season, even when it was a midweek game and it wasn't a great draw, I was amazed how many people actually were there. Yeah. You know, especially the lower bowl where it's kind of like, you know, rattle your jewelry, you're in the expensive seats, let us know you're here. Because <laughs> the third deck, they're the, the faithful, they're always there. I've seen that more often than not. The midweek game, not a great draw, and the building's pretty full. And again, that goes back to the kids, the younger core, the team that's, that's entertaining, uh, that plays at a certain <laughs> pace, and more often than not, you're going to be entertained. I, I just wonder, and you know, it might be my own perspective, but I just wonder if there's still a, a w- bit of a wait and see with the, with this team. I think, I really think this market wants to embrace this team, and they're looking for a reason to, and that's why I think this stretch of games where they've got so many at home through the, through this month and into January is so important to sell this idea that, you know, look at what we've got, and it's just starting, and it's only going to get better, so jump on the bandwagon now. I just wonder how much that plays into it because like these fans have, I mean just think of what everything they've endured over the last four seasons it's been you know the Jason Magna era it's just been atrocious but now they finally got something to sell and I think people want to but you know you fool me once uh, that, that kind of thing so <laughs> they've endured over the last four years Ed I'm going to close by talking about <laughs> the, this project that you guys are, are well we're all doing yeah. 
with going back and, and looking at the top moments in the Canucks history per decade. Man, was it fun. I'm looking, now we're doing the 80s and I'm doing the research on Harry Neal going into the stands and fighting uh, with fans and getting suspended, which opened the door for Roger Nielsen to come in, which of course, Tal Power in 82, the run. We've talked about the uniforms, which they showed off last week. Uh, the one we ran today, Tony Gallagher wrote a spectacular profile of uh, Richard Brodeur where the headline was, Canucks find spot for a fat man. Mm-hmm. Because all he talked about was how he had the worst body in professional sports and some jackass copy editor puts a big mug of Brodeur and the cut line was Richard Brodeur lumpy body like (laughs) number one you couldn't get away with that now but as bad as we look at this franchise guys how much fun is it looking back at some of these stories I I went to the alumni lunch there and that was my big takeaway is just looking at and it it was like god it was like the bar scene in Star Wars the characters that were in there I look over there you know there's Harold Snaps and there's Tiger Williams and there's you know Stan Smith and there's all these amazing characters. And I know the Canucks story really hasn't resonated far beyond the Rocky Mountains, but I still think it's a, it, it, like, I, I, I'm with you. I just love the stories and I love the characters and, and, and everything it, that, that, that it entails. And, and that, that, that 82 team in particular, my God, what a collection of characters. Uh, it was, you know, a 31 and 33 team, you know, two games under 500, but, you know, they, they're, they were playing against the, you know, dynastic New York Islanders for the Stanley Cup and everything that went along that journey, too. So, yeah, I know I know the Canucks fans really, you know, they, they, they've been missing the big prize in the 50. They've been missing several big prizes in the 50 year history. But the, just the, the, the level and the richness of the stories that this franchise routinely serves up. Almost, I stress, almost makes up for it. I uh, had great fun trying to track down Ron Settlebauer, who was a little reclusive in Burlington. But when I finally got a hold of him, he was so self-deprecating, yeah. talking about that forty-goal year and how many, you know, pucks went off his ass or whatever. But he, he basically told his football coach, "Hang on to my number because I'm not much of a hockey player. I'll be back." And for him to talk about the family's interest in Cougar shoes and how they all came over from the old Czechoslovakia and how uh, a factory in the Burlington area used to make parachutes for the Second World. War, the heavy material, that was perfect for shoes. And it was just a great insight course, into how yeah. the family dynamic into the entrepreneurial world was great. But then again, just him talking about that year and how he thought he probably could have scored more than 40 goals. He got his 40th in the last game of the year, but he had an injury that was really kept quiet in February. He thought, you know, maybe I could have, could have scored 50, but I think the thing that was that really resonated in that interview was the self-deprecation about, you know what, I wasn't that good a player. Just things kind of happened for me that year. You did a great job on that story, Ben, and I, I still, I, I love that they had a guy crack the 40-goal mark for the first time, and they traded him away <laughs> for two players who had a total of two goals between of them the year before, of and course. one of them never played a game for the Canucks. And Ed, it's so funny you say uh, about that team, the, the 82 team that made it, because, yeah, we have Running Friday, the piece that sort of talks about the fight with Neil that brought Nielsen in, and in between the Chicago series and the Islanders series, uh, Nielsen actually told James Lawton of the Sun, and he said, I couldn't really tell you if we'll be playing 500 hockey next season. At the moment, I don't really care. For me, it is enough that it's happening now when it matters most. You can be so happy with the situation, you don't want to look too hard because it might go away. After Tiger scored for us in overtime against Calgary in the first series, I rang a pal in Toronto and said, geez, it has happened. We got a team. Wow. And just wow. to think back Holy again, Maroli. what did yeah, happen yeah, to yeah, that yeah. 82 team, yeah. that really was lightning in a bottle beyond all else. 
Before, oh, sorry. Well, no, I, I just got one. You know, while we're talking about characters, so I'm knee deep in this white towel game, and this character, Butts Jerome, pops up in the middle the of it. And, and I, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think I've got room. Like, he's basically a 2,000 word story in and by himself. To the coach house in North Van. World, four time world belly flop champion, professional wrestler, and he plays blues harmonic in it. And now, and he's he, he's he, he's in Nanaimo. So, butts, if you're listening, I might. I still don't know if I can call because I don't know if I can fit you in. But he's the one. The, the dog ear T-shirt company are the yeah. ones that prints the white towels that are the white towels that are waved for Game Three of the Campbell Conference Final that year. And again, you could, the best writer on his best day couldn't create a character like Butts Drew. But there he is, right in the middle of this story. Absolutely. We're run, we've run out of time. I, I did want to get you, because you did this great column on the WHA this week with the Blazers and Jim Pattison. We'll, we'll save it for another podcast. But Ed, of course, has written a book called The Rebel League on the WHA. And when you want to talk about good stories, I wanted to ask you to reference a story about a player who was smuggled out of a game in a hockey bag because police showed up during the game to arrest him. Just fantastic story, but we'll have to save that it's for another time. The Ballad of Frankie Beaton. Oh, it's fantastic. So thanks to our producer, Juanita Ng. Uh, thanks to Ben and Ed for joining us this week. Thanks to you for listening. Again, please subscribe to us through Apple Podcasts, and we'll be back to talk more Canucks next week.